All right, and if you guys need a Bible, raise your hands. We've got some people handing them out. Keep your hand up, we'll get you a Bible. We want you to read along with us as we go through the word. And if you don't own a Bible, that's yours to keep as a gift from the Lord today. We want you to have God's word to read every day, not just on Sundays. Jesus compares it to food in that just like you need food every day to be physically healthy, you need the word of God to be spiritually healthy. And once you have it, go ahead and turn to Acts 27. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, getting closer to the end here. And before we get into the text today, I want to share a little story that's applicable to this text, actually very specific to this text. So back when I was preparing to uh, transition into being the lead pastor of this church about five and a half years ago, um, I did what any rational person would do with their last weekend of freedom. And I went to go see an Oregon State Beavers game, football game, yes. Uh, Don't be a hater. Uh, You Duck fans would do the same thing. Um, So I I took my family, went down to Corvallis, we went to a game and we stayed the night and attended uh, Calvary Chapel Corvallis, a sister church of ours that we got great connections with. And Pastor Rob down there, Pastor Rob Verdine, he was teaching through this very same section of Acts that we're gonna be in today. And the next day I showed up for work at ODOT, who I was working for at the time as an engineer for them. And uh, I had let them know my plans at that point that I was going to quit in a few months. I was gonna get things in order, but quit in a few months to become a pastor, which obviously to people that are unbelievers, like, what the heck are you doing? But all that to say is my boss on that Monday, after hearing the teaching on Sunday, uh, gave me a fallback plan. He said, all right, why don't you do this? All right, why don't you just take a sabbatical? Because then, you know, if, if the ministry thing's harder than you think, if it doesn't work out the way you'd like, you can always come back. You can just you know, not go through it, you can quit and you can come back and and do the job that you had here. Now, of course, to my flesh, that sounded real appealing. That made a lot of sense, right? If the whole ministry thing doesn't work out, oh no, maybe I'm just hearing the Lord wrong. I could just come back to my job that I had before. But here's the thing. Instantly, the voice of the Lord reminded me of this section of Acts that I'd heard just the day before. Not coincidentally, Because as we're gonna see today, the people on this ship that we saw last week with Paul will have a choice to make like I did at that moment in that they have to either stay on the ship because God tells them to do despite the storm they're facing and trust in God's word that he is going to see them through that storm and they're gonna be all right. Or they have the choice to take matters into their own hands and abandon ship trying to take the lifeboat to safety. And at that moment, when my boss presented that proposition to me, and I remembered this section in Acts, I heard the Lord clearly say to me, you need to cut the lifeboat. I want you to go into this next season, which I'm gonna tell you right now is gonna include hard things. But I don't want you to have a way out. I want you to trust me that whether good or bad, 
I am going to be good, as I've promised you, and I'm going to see you through whatever it is that comes your way. I don't want you to have a way out. And so that's what I did. I graciously did not accept that offer and, and explain that, well, you know, I appreciate this, but here's the thing. God's told me to do this thing. I'm 100% confident of that. And I can't, there is no way out. For me, in my house, we're gonna follow the Lord. I gotta do what he says until he says do something differently and that's it. And so the Lord used this text that we're gonna see today to greatly impact my life in a very practical way. And he has many times since. And that's my prayer today, that as we go through the word of God, that he speaks it to you in such a way, maybe you've heard this before, wherever you're at in the word is where you're at in life. But he speaks it to you in such a way that it has that direct practical implication where it gives you direction for something in your own life or helps you in some way, just as God did at that moment in my life. Amen? Amen. So we started Acts 27, the verse 20 verses last week, and we saw basically Paul start his journey to Rome by boat as a prisoner. And as, he, as his journey begins, as we saw, there's a whole bunch of opposition that ship is facing, right? They're sailing against the wind and it, things aren't just, they're not easy from the very beginning. And Paul appears to get a word from the Lord warning them that, hey, if we keep going, there's gonna be disaster, all right? We're gonna lose cargo. There's gonna be harm that comes to us. So we should stop. And they, the crew of the ship insists on continuing anyways. And shortly afterwards, they're caught in a very violent storm. And so that's where we're gonna pick up the text today, all right? So let me pray one more time and we'll pick it up in verse 21. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just, we wanna, we wanna ask you to help us eliminate all distractions right now. Lord, we always wanna give you your full attention or our full attention when you're speaking to us. And we know that anytime the word of God is being taught or read or we're hearing it, that it produces faith in us if we're listening. It produces belief in you, understanding of your promises, understanding of your will for our lives, understanding of our direction in that, those very specific things we're looking for guidance in or correction maybe in things that we're doing wrong according to your word or perfection in perfecting us in the things that you're, you're doing to conform us to the image of Christ. Whatever it is, Lord, you're always, your spirit works through your word as we see all throughout scripture. So Lord, we want to give you our full attention so that we can hear what it is and not only hear it and agree with it, but do it in our lives and experience the blessedness or the happiness that comes with obedience to you, Lord. So be with us today. May we hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 21, it says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart or have courage for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So Paul takes advantage of this, I told you so moment, okay? Because uh, basically he had told them, he had warned them, don't keep sailing. 
You know, the Lord's told me this thing is that bad things are gonna happen if we keep going. And he takes the time to kind of remind him of that. And I think it's a good example for us in that sometimes it is appropriate to, in a sense, tell people, I told you so. Spouses, maybe not husbands and wives, but other way around. Um, No, but here's the thing, never to prove that we're right. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're right or if I'm right. What matters is that God is always right. And the reason it's beneficial to help people understand when you're trying to counsel them in God's word and trying to direct them into God's good, pleasing and perfect will, just the same reason that you counsel your kids and you help them understand when they don't listen to you and they make a mistake and there's consequences for it, you want them to learn. You want them to learn that, see, I was telling you this for your benefit and you need to see that so you don't make the same mistake again. So that would be the heart in telling somebody I told you so. That's why Paul's sharing that with them, all right? But he's also quick to remind them that, you know what? Even though you messed up, God is still a God full of mercy and grace. Because he he encourages them. He's He's like, you know what? You got another chance. God has told me that there's gonna be no loss of life. Even though you didn't listen the first time, you guys still are gonna be okay. So he gives them this encouragement along with that correction, all right? And Paul's attitude here, I want, to, I want you to note it because if you go back to verse 20, if you were here last week, you probably realize or you remember that the crew had a totally different attitude than Paul, right? What did it say in verse 20? That they were feeling. They were hopeless, right? They had given up all hope and they were sure that they were gonna die. But that's not Paul's attitude. He has absolute confidence in what God has told him. Paul the Christian, remember? So despite all the circumstances around them, giving them reason to think this is hopeless, there's no way we're gonna live, his attitude is like, we're gonna be all right. God's told me we're gonna be all right. And he is confident in that. And that, that contrasting attitude toward a storm in his life gave him an audience with those unbelievers. And that is going to open the door for him to share why he has that hope. And God will do that same thing in your life. That would be my encouragement to you. When you react differently to the hard things going on in this world and the difficult things you're faced with so often and unbelievers see that, everybody wants that kind of hope. And you can't have it unless you have the hope God gives us through his word, through your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you display that to them, it will be appealing and they will want to know why you have that, all right? And you're gonna see that happen in the following text. So it goes on in verse 23, it says, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and to who I worship. I like that because he distinguishes, this isn't just a God. This is the one and only God. He's the one I follow. This is the one you need to know. This is the one you need to believe in. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So that implies that Paul wasn't just praying for his own safety, but also for he's interceding for the other people there. And, he, and he's being, God's affirming to him. He's like, you guys are gonna all be right. All right, I hear your prayers. It says in verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. That statement right there is probably the best definition of faith in the Bible. You wanna know what real faith is? that you believe God that what he tells you will be exactly as he says. 
That's what he's saying. And it says in verse 26, but we must run our ground on some island. So Paul goes and tells everyone on the ship what God had revealed to him through this angelic messenger. Paul also being fearful at some point because what's the first thing the angel says to him? Don't be afraid, afraid, right? It's not a trick question here, all right? (laughs) This is why you read your Bible. You have it open with me, all right? No, he says, don't be afraid, which means Paul was afraid because fear is the natural response when we're facing adversity in our lives. When things aren't going the way that's planned, that's natural. But here's the difference. As a follower of Christ, as a Christian, God has given you a means to not stay in that place of fear, all right? Because of what he's told you, the final outcome's gonna be in any given situation. He's working it for your good. So the difference is, as a believer, you don't have to stay in that place of fear, just as Paul doesn't, right? This angel tells Paul that he, along with everyone else on the ship, is gonna be okay, though they are gonna run aground. They're, they're, they're gonna be shipwrecked. So again, he gives them the final outcome, just as God does in his word. You're gonna be okay. That's all you need to know. It's not gonna be without adversity because you are gonna get shipwrecked, which that's still a freaky thing, right? So it's the same thing God tells us. Yeah, you're gonna have adversity. There's gonna be hard things, but don't worry about it because ultimately you're gonna be okay. You're not gonna have the details, but I've given you the final outcome. And really that's all you need to know to have faith and hope, amen? And Paul shows great faith here in sharing with this ship's crew that he had complete confidence that what God had tell him would come to pass despite all the circumstances indicating otherwise. And it took boldness on his part to even share God's word here with these unbelievers who could have very likely thought of him as foolish for believing in such things, right? Especially if they didn't come to pass. But nonetheless, his trust in God and his word led him to be bold in his faith, which is going to become a great testimony for these unbelievers as they get to see God's word actually come to pass just as it was spoken through Paul, all right? And I want you to know, that Paul's great faith in the middle of this literal storm in his life came from not only believing in God, but also believing God. There's a difference, all right? There's a difference between believing in God and believing God at his word. James 2.19 tells us, so you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble and tear. Like when Paul's talking about what real faith looks like, like the, the, the changes it produces in our life, he's pointing out like, oh, you say you believe in God, good. Even the demons do that. Like Romans 1 spends basically the whole chapter telling us that if you can look at creation and not see that there's God, that's just stupid. That's foolishness. Like it speaks the complexity of creation, the complexity of the human body, the complexity of the universe. It speaks of a creator that had to make it all, all right? So it should be an easy thing to believe in God, but it's a whole nother thing to believe God at his word. Basically what Paul's declaring here is that, you know what? I have total confidence in God, the God I serve, the God I belong to, Like, I believe that he is as he says he is. He knows all things. He knows everything that's going on in this crazy trial we're facing. And here's the other thing he says. He says he's completely in control of everything going on. He's sovereign. He's got a perfect, good, and pleasing plan. 
He's in control of everything this, this storm that's going on right now. Nothing's gonna thwart his good plan for us. The storm and the dangers of it happening all around Paul were just as real to him as they were to the unbelievers around him. But here's the difference. God and his word was even more real to him. And his focus was not on those circumstances, but on the promises God gave him that he was gonna be all right. And that allowed him to display hope in the midst of what would, the world would view as a hopeless situation, which became a witness to the unbelievers around Paul that had no such hope, amen? Because he believed God at his word. And it says in verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and uh, found 20 fathoms. A sounding, if you don't know, is basically, it would be like a rope with a weight on it and they just drop it down to kind of see what the depth was that they were at. And it says a little further as they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms or about 90 feet and fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So after being caught in the storm for two weeks, all right, this is like serious. They're, they're at the mercy of the wind, just being drifting for two weeks, okay? And they sense they're getting near land. We don't know why. Maybe they heard like shore break or waves crashing against the shore in the distance because it's nighttime, but they start taking these soundings and they realize that the water is getting shallower, and so they start fearing, you know, we're gonna hit land here. We're gonna hit a reef or hit something. And so they decide to let out anchors to hopefully slow them down or keep them from drifting and, and wait for daylight. And apparently this trial made them all praying men, according to verse 29, because they all prayed. And I think that's interesting because in some way or another, you see this even with people that would claim not to be religious when all heck is breaking loose in their life. We all have this tendency to cry out and look up, right? It's ingrained in us that we need help, all right? But here's the thing. You can't have a confident hope unless you know who you're talking to and you know what he's promised you, all right? And that's the difference between Paul and them, all right? And it goes on in verse 30, and it says, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So fear in the ship would be smashed to bits on the rocks. The crew sees an easy way out. We'll just lower the lifeboat, save ourselves, let everyone else fend for themselves. We'll leave them behind. But Paul tells the Roman soldiers, hey, if you let these guys go, if you let them take it, all of us are gonna die at which point the soldiers actually made a good decision in that they listened to Paul and they cut away the lifeboat, removing everyone's option of a way off the ship. Paul here again, trusting in God's word rather than what would seem to be the easiest way of escape. And he gives us a very important example to follow is sometimes we need to cut away the things we can use in our lives is an easy way out when things get tough. So instead of, of, of running, we're forced to endure or persevere through the difficulty, having removed the option to jump ship or bail, which will allow God to do the work he wants to do through that trial in your life, in you and through you. If you're struggling with a certain sin in your life, 
that brings you some sort of temporary relief or comfort. And this can be a whole gauntlet of things. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's sexual immorality, maybe it's indulgence in eating, gluttony. Could be a lot of things, all right? But if you're looking to those things and you're keeping them around on purpose so that when things get hard or things get difficult or things just get messy, and you have that temporary source of comfort or peace to turn to instead of turning to God, I'm gonna tell you right now, you need to cut them out of your life because they're preventing you from going to the one that can actually help you, all right? And God says, these things are not for my people, especially when they disagree with what God's word actually says is good and right. If you're considering divorce with your spouse, because things are difficult or they're not the way you would like them to be. And you don't have the grounds for divorce that Jesus gives us in Matthew 19, you need to cut that thought out of your head because it's not an option for a follower of Jesus because God says it will only harm you despite whatever you think will come of it if you're considering cheating on your spouse because they aren't being the person you want them to be, but somebody else is, you need to cut that person out of your life because God says that is not gonna lead to what you think it is. It's only gonna cause havoc for you. If you're considering quitting a ministry or a job that you know the Lord's placed you in just because it's not going the way you thought or it's more difficult than you thought, but the Lord hasn't told you to, to quit, to, to not do it. You need to cut that option out of your life. It's not an option for you because God has told you, this is where I want you and you need to trust me. If you're considering having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you're not married yet, that's not an option for you, Christian, because God says, I have a better plan for you. Wait till you're married so I can bless that part of your relationship. Now, these are all things like anything else that Jesus has paid the price for these sins. So it's not, you're not to be condemned if you've fallen short in these things. I've fallen short in many of these things. We all have. But having said that, the reality is these are clear black and white truths that God has said in his word are not for his people because they will bring harm to our lives. And if that offends you, God is not worried about you offended. He's worried about you harming yourself because of his love for you. And he will run the risk of you being offended so that you listen and you go to him instead. And that's ultimately the thing is God wants you to go to him and in, in, in cutting these things out of your life, just like Paul told them to cut the lifeboat, what you're, what you're declaring is that I trust God and his word more so than my own understanding of this situation, despite what it looks like. I'm, I'm trusting the one that says, if I jump ship, it's gonna bring no good in my life. It's gonna result in loss. 
I'm trusting the one who loved me so much that he willingly gave his life for me so I could be set free of my sinful flesh and live with him according to his word and experiencing a will that he says is only gonna be good, pleasing, and perfect. It's trusting him at Romans 8.28 that even though everything seems bad, it seems hard, it seems difficult, I'm not demeaning that because that's what it seems sometimes, but I'm trusting that God says in Romans 8, 28, he's working all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm trusting that even though this is bad, God is going to work it for my good. It does not matter what the sailors of society are saying. You cut the lifeboat away and you let it crash into the sea and you stay aboard God's ship and you rely on the Lord and to work things out the way that he wants to, so your mind can be blown and you can experience the blessing in your life that he intends. And if you take matters into your own hands and jump overboard, here's the reality is you're never even giving God a chance to do what he wants to do, what he says. And in the process, you're bringing harmful consequences that come with rebelling. Now he's big enough to restore us from our mistakes, but we can save ourselves from a whole lot of self-inflicted damage when we just listen and obey, even if it doesn't make sense to us, amen? And remove those things from our lives that actually are a hindrance from going to him, the one place we should be going in the storm, just as Paul did. And it says in verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing, Therefore, I urge you to take some food for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So, Paul encourages the men to eat. They apparently hadn't been eating this whole time. They're in the storm for two weeks. We don't know if it's because, you know, they were, if they were at the uh, sea for that long, they didn't have like refrigeration and stuff. The food could have gone bad. Maybe it was seasickness. Maybe it was just, they were so stressed. They couldn't think of eating. But he's basically saying, you guys need to eat something, have strength because God's gonna save you. You need your strength. And then he goes on to basically lead them in communion according to verse 35. Why would he do that? What does communion speak of? Jesus, well, I heard Jesus, isn't that, what did, what did Jesus say to do communion? In, in remembrance of me, right? So it speaks of the cross, it speaks of the gospel. And the reason that he's doing that is because basically he's, he sees this opportunity. He's like, okay, they see that I'm hopeful, even though they're not, and they're watching me. So I'm gonna show them the reason why I am hopeful. I'm gonna give them the good news because they can have the same hope I have if they really want it. So he takes advantage of that opportunity. And his faith is inspiring to the rest of the people apparently because even if they didn't believe in the Lord yet, verse 36 says they were encouraged and they ate with him. Basically, they, they, they despite the bleak circumstances, they saw the hope in Paul and they're like, I wanna be like that guy. So I'm just gonna do whatever he's doing, even if they didn't know what they were doing. You know, they're just like, maybe it'll work for me, all right? Which sometimes that's how it starts when people come to know the Lord, right? They just follow you because they see something attractive in you, amen? Some of you might be here today because you followed your friend to church because you saw something different in them 
And God brought you here just like he brought these people with Paul, not accidentally, so you could understand why they are the way they are and you could have it too, amen? Because that gift of salvation is available to every single person in here through faith in Jesus. Whether you've placed your faith in him yet or not, you can leave here knowing the God of the universe that created you. And it says here, they go on to lighten the ship is kind of like a, a last act of desperation. They get rid of the last essentials, the food on the ship to lighten it. And it says in verse 39, now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. And at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef or like a sandbar, sandbar they ran the vessel aground the, the bow stuck or the bow stuck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf. So we later find out that this unknown island is Malta, okay? Which was a uh, island off of the, the tip of Italy in the Mediterranean. So basically they're not that far from their final destination. And they see a beach and they intend to run the ship aground. So they, they drop their anchors, they lighten it and they aim the ship there. But before they can get there, they, they hit a sandbar and they get stuck. And as they're stuck, the, the shore breaker, the waves just keep crashing against the boat and they start, it starts falling apart. And it says in verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought to safely to land. So the soldiers, they wanna kill the prisoners. The reason being that in Rome, if you let a prisoner escape while you were watching him, then you were subject to whatever uh, punishment they deserved. And so for good reason, they didn't want any of them to escape. But the Roman centurion who's shown favor to Paul through this whole entire section, this travel uh, he's had with them, he desires him to be kept safe and he orders that Paul along with the rest of the prisoners not be harmed, telling those basically, hey, if you can swim, jump overboard and swim for it. If you can't, grab something that floats and find your way to shore. And everyone, as it says there in verse 44, everyone on this ship makes it safe and sound miraculously, just as God said through Paul. And all these unbelievers got to be witness to the word of God come true or God be faithful to keep his word that Paul shared with them. Amen? Now, in closing, which means I got another 10 minutes at least, but um, <laughs> Jesus was honest that we would face storms in our life, okay? If you don't believe me, look up John 16, 33, among other places. But we, he said we'd face tribulation, just as Paul did. The storm that Paul's facing, that's not abnormal. That's normal for living in a sinful, fallen world, all right? Now, without the Lord in your life, those storms are very hopeless, or there, there is no reason to hope. I mean, you can wish for things to, to work out in the way you'd want them to. But without God, knowing God and knowing his promises to you, it's, it's like a 50-50 chance, right? You have no sure way to be confident in anything. And so the hard things we face in this life very well are hopeless 
when we don't have God in our life. But with the Lord, the trials we so often face in our lives have a beneficial purpose for us. James 1, 2 through 4, among other places, tells us that, that they're not wasted. God uses them for your benefit in several different ways, okay? And so they become an opportunity for us to, in a sense, watch God work them for our good if we're willing to endure through them and give them a chance to do so because that's what he says he's going to do. So it's very night and day with God in your life or without God in your life. From being an unbeliever to a believer in Jesus Christ, it's very night and day how we look at hard things, okay? Sometimes we have storms of correction. When we're in a place of disobedience, like we saw Jonah last week, what did God use that storm to do? Bring him back into the will he knew that Jonah would be best off. As I shared, the whole time he's in that whale, as he gets spit over sea in the middle of a storm, because he was going in the complete opposite direction God told him to do, that whale swallows him. And for three days, he's in the belly of that whale, miraculously being preserved. But all that to say is he's feeling sorry for himself. And he gets to this point of realizing that it was his own sin that got him there. And he's repentant towards God. And that whale spits him out right where God wanted him all along. So God was bringing him right back to where, it's just where I wanted you. I just wanted you to understand that this is where you're best off. And he preaches the shortest message in history. And how many people get saved? Hundreds of thousands. I mean, it's crazy, all right? Like crazy revival. But all that to say is that was a storm of correction. And sometimes we have those in our lives where God uses the hard thing we're going through to bring us out of a place of rebellion so that we stop bringing harm to ourselves and others and we start experiencing the blessing he intends for us, okay? Sometimes we have storms of perfection. So there's storms of correction. There's also storms of perfection. After using the disciples to miraculously feed 5,000 plus people in Matthew 14, Jesus sends them into a storm in the Sea of Galilee. How many of you guys are familiar with this text? He says, get in the boat, go to the other side, all right? Now, that, was a, that right there was the word of God given to them that they could trust that despite the storm they were going into, they would be all right because he said, go to the other side and God doesn't lie. If he says it, it's gonna happen. So it was an opportunity to have faith in his word, all right? Now, faith is not a pill that we need to take, but rather a muscle that we need to work, okay? That's why God puts us in those situations. And as such, the Lord will send you into those hard things from time to time to perfect your faith or strengthen or work that faith out. And how I react in the storm is gonna tell me how much faith I really have in what God has said in his word, okay? Now, if my faith proves to be insufficient as Peter's did in Matthew 14, because you guys remember what happens? Jesus starts walking across the water They get freaked out in the middle of the storm. They think it's a ghost. And like Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's just me. And Peter's like, if it's you, Lord, have me come out to you and call me to you. And so like he calls Peter and Peter starts walking on the water. His focus is on Jesus and he has faith and he's walking. And I mean, it must've been a crazy scene, all these waves crashing around him. But then he starts looking at the waves and he starts sinking because his eyes got off the Lord. He lacked faith. But what happened when he lacked faith? called out to Jesus, Jesus was there to save him. 
And see, that's what he does. So in those storms of perfection, if we do lack faith, well, God shows up to save us and give us another instance of his faithfulness so that we have a little more faith next time we go through a storm. We learn, right? He's perfecting our faith, those storms of perfection. There's also storms of protection. Noah was a man that had faith in God and therefore had favor with God. And when God sent a storm to get rid of all the sin and carnality around him in the world, he didn't just protect Noah and his family in the storm, but he also protected them by the storm, by, by removing the destruction of all that sin in the world, okay? So your TV or your phone or your computer breaks might cause a bit of a storm for you. But here's the thing. Maybe God's protecting you from the harmful things you're watching on that that you can't seem to get yourself rid of or you can't seem to break, break free of. Maybe it's just a distraction from him or other things in your life like your family that he knows that you should be investing in that'll be more worthwhile for you, that'll bring greater blessing to you. So what seems like a hardship or a storm is actually God protecting you. Maybe your car breaking down is because there was gonna be a drunk driver on your way to wherever you were going that you didn't know about was going to run into you without you doing anything. I often wonder when I get to heaven how many of those situations are gonna happen where I'm just frustrated and losing it because something's happening that I didn't want to happen and God just shows you, oh, I was actually protecting you. So there's storms of protection, there's storms of correction, there's storms of perfection, there's storms of protection. And then last but not least, there's storms of direction. Knowing that there were people in the island of Malta that needed to hear the good news of Jesus, as we're gonna see in the next chapter, before Paul went to Rome, the Lord allowed a storm that appeared to blow him off course, but in reality was just blowing him to somewhere God wanted him to be that he knew that without God's help and direction, he would never have gone to himself. Sometimes we wonder, why is this thing happening to me? Why did I lose my job when I did nothing wrong? Why did that person break up with me? I thought they were the one. How come this ministry isn't working out the way I thought it would? Whatever it might be, maybe you're just being blown in a different direction by the Lord because there's something else he wants to do in and through you that ultimately he knows you're gonna be better off in because that's his only intent for you. Whatever the type of storm is that you might be facing today or that you're surely gonna face in the future, God doesn't just want you to believe in him. He wants you to believe him when he says he's working it for your good in Romans 8, 28. That is where you will experience the true blessing of being a follower of Jesus. Because here's the thing, through your faith in Jesus, you are victorious. You are saved, you are forgiven. Death has no power over you anymore. You're victorious. But you're supposed to start experiencing that victory now, not just when you get to heaven. And to live in that victory, you have to believe God at his word. And that's a process. He's constantly teaching us that this whole time in life. Believe me, believe me, believe me. Live in the abundant life, live in the blessing, live in the victory I've given you, live in the peace, live in the joy. These are all things God intends for us that we're constantly learning to live in. 
And believing in him will involve not jumping ship or taking the lifeboat when things get hard or not doing what makes sense in our own understanding or taking the easy way out, especially when it conflicts with his word. Instead, it means going to him for comfort and help, looking to him to get you through the difficulty and endure it, being confident that he wants to work those bad things into good things in your life, which will give you hope even in the hardest of situations because you know that what's coming is good, pleasing, and perfect according to Romans 12 too, if it's the Lord of the will, if it's the will of the Lord. And just as that day I was at Calvary Chapel Corvallis was not by accident, that was a divine appointment because there was something specific God wanted to tell me in his word that I could use practically in my life. Here's the reality is you're not here by accident today. The Lord wants to speak to you too. And as the worship team comes back up here, I wanna leave you with some questions during our response time to ask the Lord and ask yourself, are you believing God's word while facing the storms in your life? Maybe you're in the midst of one right now. Are you hopeful like Paul? Or are you fearful like the rest of the people on this ship? Are you confident that the Lord is going to see you through it and save you from it? And again, that might not be working things out the way you want. It might be completely different. But like I said last week, in the waiting, God will show you that, oh, no, no, I have something much greater in mind. I'm teaching you this because it's gonna produce so much freedom in your life. It's gonna produce so much blessing, but you gotta go through this hard thing to learn it. Do you have a lifeboat that you need to cut away that you're using as an easy way out that you need to get rid of so that instead you go to God and you trust him and you endure relying on him so he can complete that work he wants to do in you and, and through you and whatever's going on. And you might say, well, I haven't jumped ship yet. I've just lowered the boat <laughs> and I'll give it a few more months and I'll see how things go, see if God makes things better before I make a final decision on whether I'm gonna jump ship or not. Here's the thing. There's a big problem with that type of thinking because if you leave that option there, chances are at some point you're gonna take it. If you keep divorce as an option that is on the table in your marriage, when you have no grounds for it, there's a good chance you're gonna go that route eventually. If you entertain the thought of being unfaithful to your spouse and you don't cut that right out of your mind, you leave that as an option, there's a good chance that you're going to give in to that at some point. If you leave quitting a job or a ministry, oh, well, I'll just see if it gets better, but if it doesn't, yeah, I might just bail. If you leave that as an option, then there's a chance that you're gonna take it. And here's the thing, you might sit here and say, well, you just don't know. You don't know how tough my marriage is. You don't know how hard my, my spouse is. You don't know how hard this job is. You, don't, you just don't know. It's so much more difficult and you would have a different attitude if you knew. I'm gonna tell you something right now. You're right, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend to know what it feels like. We all have our own degrees of hard that we go through and they all feel super hard to us. 
But I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust the one that does know, that knows all things, and he died for you so that you could be forgiven of your sin and rely on him completely and have him there for you to strengthen you where you're weak, to comfort you where you can't comfort yourself and to bring you through whatever it is and work it for your good. That's who you can trust time and time again. And he'll never, ever disappoint you. And if you go to him instead of taking matters in your own hands, you will never regret it. Never regret it. It might not work out in the timing you want. It might not work out the way you want, but he knows what's best and he will help you see that. And he's proven that time and time again in my life. And he can handle any situation way better than I ever could. And as we were singing earlier, he's always faithful. He's always good. He's always loving. And I can think of instances in instances in my life where I went into something just trusting him because that was all I knew I was supposed to do. He said this, I'm gonna do it. And I didn't even wanna do it. But I trusted him like Paul and I believed him and he totally changed my mind. Maybe in something I didn't even want to do, But then he showed me, no, I'm teaching you this, Chris, and this is such a valuable lesson because it's gonna produce so much joy and freedom in your life. And by the time he was done teaching me, I was like, oh, I see now, Lord. Now I love this thing that I didn't, I hated. (laughs) That's how God works. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a response time right now. And there's a whole lot of things there that the Lord might be speaking to you. One of the things we're gonna do during this response time is you're gonna come up and get communion on your own because here's what communion does for us. It's, it's, in remem- it's so we remember Jesus, remember the cross, remember his love for us. And if there is some sort of sin in your life, some sort of lifeboat, if you will, that you keep going to, the first thing you do is acknowledge that before you take communion because you have to remind yourself that sin's been paid for. God saved you knowing you were gonna do that sin. So you're, you're, not, you're bringing it out of the darkness into the light and confessing it to God for your benefit, not his. He saved you knowing it. He knows you're doing it. But as soon as we bring it out, it's bringing it before God and it's so he can help us with it. And you're, you're acknowledging, I'm sorry for this, Lord. I'm so thankful I'm forgiven of it but I need your help because I don't wanna take this lifeboat anymore. I don't need it. It's preventing me from going to the one that can actually help me and give me a peace that lasts and a joy that lasts. When this thing's just temporary, I don't want it. I want you. And so I want you to take it away. I choose the better thing and that's you, Jesus. So we can do that when we're doing communion. We confess our sins. We take the elements the bread that represents his body that was broken for us, the the juice that represents his blood that was spilled to atone for our sins. And then the other thing is that reminds, that right there is the greatest reason why you should trust Jesus with whatever's going on instead of taking matters in your own hands. Because as I said in the beginning of this, it's easy to trust people that you know care about you and that love you. When When somebody's demonstrated to you that you're the most important thing in the world to them, that they would do anything to make sure that your well-being is in mind, that you're good, that you're taken care of, that 
to, to go out of their way to help you, whatever that might be, when they've demonstrated that, it's easy to trust them. Trust is earned, right? Well, the greatest demonstration that's ever been shown to you of love is at the cross where God sent his son who was God in the flesh who did nothing wrong and lived a perfect life on this earth to die on that cross for our sins, to pay the price for our sins because it was the only way we could be forgiven of him. When we didn't deserve it in any way, we didn't earn it or justify it, it was all by God's grace because of his love. That right there is the single greatest demonstration of love you will ever experience in all of eternity. And it's the ultimate reason why you should listen to anything God says and do whatever he says. Because surely if he loves you that much, he only wants the best for you, amen? So doing communion and remembering that helps us trust God. So I'm gonna pray. We'll have our prayer team around the room. If you need prayer for something, come up and bear that burden with your brother or sister. If you wanna receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we can lead you in a prayer. But don't miss out on this opportunity to respond to whatever God is saying so that you can leave here not only agreeing with his word, but changed by it, amen? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're so thankful that you're so patient with us. You're so good. It's such a good reminder in this chapter that even when we don't listen, you still desire to save us. <laughs> you desire to save us from ourselves in our own bad choices and mistakes. Lord, I can be so guilty of doing what makes sense to me, trying to take the easy way out instead of just enduring and trusting you because it's not fun. It's not fun to go through hard things. It's not easy. And we're so thankful that we have this hope of knowing that when we're with you, there's no more hard. Hard is gone forever. But until that time, Lord, we want to trust you. We've surely seen you be nothing but faithful in our lives and keep every word. Just as Paul said, I believe that we'll see everything that God says come to pass. We've seen you do that in our lives. You've never not been faithful. There's surely times when I, I wonder because I'm not understanding what you're doing, but in hindsight, you always prove that you had a better plan in mind and it's always for my good. And if we can't see that yet because of something that's happened in our lives that's hard, we surely will eventually. And so Lord, we want to grow in our trust. We wanna be like Paul. We wanna believe and live in that, that victory, that, that, that faith that blessing, that abundant life that you intend for us, not just believing in you, but believing you. Help us with our faith, Lord, if we lack it. Tell us, show us those lifeboats if we have them in our lives so we can cut them free. Speak to us during this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.